The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There's a strong link between sports and medicine. If you're not at the top of your medical game, you can't play well, or you just can't play. Welcome to Bruce the Sports Doc with medical expert Dr. Bruce Grossinger. This program looks at advances and breakthroughs in medicine and how it relates to sports. Plus, you'll receive preventative tips and analysis of sports injuries this week. Now, here's Bruce the Sports Doc. Welcome to the newest edition of Bruce the Sports Doc. This is the Master's Edition, and we're here with my co-host, Spencer the Wizard. We had a couple weeks off. But I think it's real important that we dive right into our NCAA March Madness wrap-up. Spencer, lead us off. Tell us what you feel were the high points of the tournament and your analysis of March Madness. Well, I just want to say thank you to Voice America for giving us this platform to come back at you guys. And I want to thank the listeners for making this all possible. And I, I can't wait for this show because we have two weeks of great material to catch up on. These are the best two sporting weeks of the year, in my opinion, or one of the best stretches that we have as sports viewers. And uh, just one of my favorite two weeks in general, because it's really the beginning of spring and we have the end of the NCAA tournament, which is three weeks of just unbelievable basketball, unbelievable drama, and just the suspense of the tournament, the last second finishes. And every year there's just so much chaos and we we can compare our brackets and even college basketball fans that are not really in tune to the regular season, just the casual sports fan, everybody should latch into the tournament because it really is special. And this year the tournament did not disappoint once again and it just seems to get better and better with each year. But but yeah, Bruce, I'm really excited to to recap the tournament. I mean, you look at Kentucky and all of their games really from the game versus Wichita all the way up to the championship. I mean, what an unlikely run for those freshmen that really went up and down during the regular season. And for them to catch fire and their road to the championship game, it was not a fluke. They had to beat very formidable opponents to get there. So... Bruce, just what did you think of Kentucky's run and this NCAA tournament as a whole? What were your favorite games to watch, and what direction did you want to talk about with the tournament? Well, I'd, I'd like to start off with um, the champions, the UConn Huskies. Shabazz Napier just played like a man. He um, Just tremendous leadership. He basically willed them to victory, ironically, the most difficult game they had was against our St. Joe Hawks. They had to come back with the three-pointer to, to uh, drive it into overtime and to actually win that game. But as you know, it's not unusual for a team to have trouble in their first game and just barely eat by and then go on a run. And that was the story with, with the, uh, the Huskies. Sure. I mean, 
when you kind of squeak out a first game, you kind of feel like you're playing with house money at that point. As a seventh seed, this team was then playing a two seed in their second game in the NCAA tournament, and they were really just lucky to continue to play basketball. And you look at Villanova, and they definitely benefited from some early regular season wins versus I-1 Kansas. And the Big East wasn't relatively strong this year like in past years due to conference realignment. But also the Big East was down this year in general. So Villanova as a two-seed was kind of a soft two-seed, and a lot of people saw that. UConn took advantage of that. They also beat a, a really good offensive Iowa State team from a and Fred Hoiberg runs an NBA system and they had to beat DeAndre Kane and Melvin Edgem. And, you know, Iowa State was still a very talented team, even without George Niang, who's a sophomore who was one of their best players. He was out with an injury. But the two games leading up to the championship, most people picked either Michigan State or Florida to win the championship. And for UConn to knock off both of those teams decisively. And in Michigan State, they were down in that second half. Adrian Payne had about 19 points. And he was hitting shots from the outside on them. He was he caught fire from three-point land. And Gary Harris of Michigan State played well. But Connecticut stayed the course. And they were just such a confident group. There wasn't any wavering. And for a seventh seed and a team under Kevin Ollie that was up and down in the American Conference, they expected to fully go on, win the six games, and win the championship. And that confidence really was a component for why they won because Shabazz Napier and this team actually believed nothing was unrealistic to them. And I know that sounds cliche, but they expected to win every game where nobody else outside of Connecticut's locker room really gave them a chance versus the heavyweights of this field. So you look at their guard play and guard play was so crucial. You had Napier, who's the most talented guard in the tournament from 25 feet and in, he could score his pull up three pointers, pull up jump shot. He could stop on a dime, change directions, and he averaged 22 points throughout the tournament. And not only can he shoot the ball, he can also dribble it and pass it, and he's such a weapon. So Shabazz Napier is one of the most talented guys in the tournament, period. And then Ryan Boatwright, who also is in the backcourt, he doesn't have a lot of size, Ryan Boatwright. He's probably about six feet, but he's the quickest guy in the whole tournament. And he can lock the best offensive guard down, the best opposing guard down. I mean, Ryan Boatwright from half court, he picks you up, he checks you at half court, and that guy will not give you an inch. I mean, he was such a pest on defense for this whole entire tournament. So those two guys, just their quickness, their ability to finish in traffic, Boatwright's uh, fadeaway jumpers in the championship game. So you really, the guard play of Connecticut was a huge advantage. And then you had DeAndre Daniels, Niels Giffey. You had guys that contributed as well, and they didn't get beat down low like they should have because their guard pressure up top, they they had no penetration. Their opponents had no penetration at all. Scotty Wilbekin, Keith Appling, Ryan Boatwright 
just completely shut those guys down. It was like there was a metal chamber surrounding the free throw line and Wilbekin and Keith Appling, they couldn't get any penetration whatsoever. They couldn't drive. They couldn't hit floaters. They couldn't operate. And and since Boatwright can can lock the, the guards down and they can't dribble past him, nobody needs to help on defense. So those are the reasons why Connecticut was able to run the table and win this championship, just unbelievable guard play and contribution from DeAndre Daniels, who should be a star in the NBA someday. The thing that really impressed me, as you noted, was shutting down Appling. For most of the game, Appling was had no points at all. And if you watch the rest of the tournament, this guy looked like one of the best point guards. So, you, you had Tom Izzo, you, you had Michigan State. A lot of people picked him, including myself, to go all the way and win. And uh, and sure enough, uh, Ryan Boatwright w- was a real man. When, when you look at the uh, the last game, the championship game, and Boatwright had a bad sprained ankle, and he, he went out for a few moments and came back and finished the game, it, w- it was really impressive. It was certainly heroic, and... Wilbekin was also the SEC Player of the Year. Many people considered him the best player in this whole tournament, but Wilbekin, he literally couldn't dribble inside the three-point line because Boatwright and Napier were faster than them. They were more conditioned than Wilbekin and Appling, and it was honestly just a struggle for them not to turn the ball over. For the point guard, you're supposed to be a playmaker. Instead of just conservatively dribbling the ball up the court and passing it to a wing, sometimes as a great point guard, you're supposed to dribble into the lane. And and once you get to the free throw line while dribbling the ball, the defense collapses and then you could spray it out to shooters. But it was incredible how they made those two players look pedestrian when really those two guards, Appling and Wilbekin, are elite college basketball players, but Napier and Boatwright were just so well-conditioned, and their defensive intensity was off the charts. So it, it was just amazing how confident those Huskies were throughout the whole tournament. I'd like you to take a look at the whole tournament and tell me what were your, just briefly, what were the highlights? What were the special moments of this particular tournament that you'll recall in the years ahead? I think that we're going to definitely remember Aaron Harrison and his heroics because throughout most of the tournament games Kentucky played, Harrison sometimes had about eight points per game. He he was playing mediocre basketball for much of the game. He was making about half of his shots. He he didn't have gaudy numbers. He he wasn't in double figures most of the tournament. And his brother Andrew was kind of a guy who has the ball more. He he is he's more of a, a slasher and as a point guard you get more opportunities to score, I think, when you have the rock. So his guard Andrew got to the free throw line a lot and was making a lot of plays but Aaron Harrison is a great shooter and that's what he's known for kind of playing off his brother and the two shots that he hit versus Michigan when the game was tied up he hit about a 25 foot shot to win the basketball game with five seconds left in the Elite Eight in Indianapolis and then this was even a clutcher shot Wisconsin was up two points and this is at the final four in Arlington Texas and this is the national semifinal game. 
and Aaron Harrison gets it was really a broken play and the dude is literally almost out of bounds shooting a 28 foot shot and Josh Gasser is like okay man I'm giving you this you could shoot this one and I'm sure Wisconsin's bench was you know rather excited that that Kentucky that their final possession came down to a 28 foot shot and Harrison rose up Aaron Harrison and just instant legend status to make those two shots from just way downtown with the game on the line. Those two shots and this whole Kentucky team that kind of was so up and down in the regular season, even Calipari got teed up in South Carolina and he was even he was even vocal about being frustrated with this freshman team. You didn't think they would turn it around and I'll definitely remember the undefeated Shocker team. Just such a joy to watch throughout the whole regular season. And then they had an instant classic with these Kentucky Wildcats in St. Louis. A back-and-forth game. Clay Anthony Early, Ron Baker, trading blows with the Harrisons, Julius Randle. And it came down to one possession game, and Fred Van Vliet missed a three-pointer. That game had it all as well. So I'd say all the Kentucky games were fantastic drama. And I'm def- I think I'm also going to remember the Mercer game. Just a great Cinderella story there that you had in Raleigh as well. So the first round, you had a lot of overtime games. But Aaron Harrison and his shots, I would definitely say that first comes to mind when talking about legacies of this tournament. Well, we're just coming to the end of this segment. I want to thank all the listeners on Voice America, voiceamerica.com. We want to thank Ray Ellis, Jeff Spadard, our president. And... Um, We'll be back in three minutes. Stay right there. The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds barred. They need a bitch's ass and then move on. I just just think that the coach made a mistake. crazy. (laughs) NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine, Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injury. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. Are you a real sports fan? Get ready to talk football and anything else sports with Kwame Lasseter. Formerly with the Arizona Cardinals, San Diego Chargers, and St. Louis Rams, Kwame's got the experience. So he's prepared to talk sports with you every week on Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk. It's on the Voice America Sports Network every Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time. Get ready for an unpredictable, fun, and sometimes sarcastic look at the world of sports. That's Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network. (laughs) 
your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Bruce the Sports Doc on the Voice America Sports Network. I'm your host, Spencer Grossinger. And for this third segment, I'd love to dive into the Masters Golf Tournament held at Augusta National Golf Club. And Bruce, what were your thoughts on these magical four days in Georgia? Well, every year I always think that it's it's not possible to really create excitement and drama, riveting television. But every year they do it. They did it again. Looking at Bubba Watson... Really coming down the stretch, playing unbelievable golf, bombing his drive 366 yards on the 15th hole, which is a par five, leaving himself a wedge in for a second shot. It's just unbelievable. And the the emotion, it, it, it was real. When Bubba tapped in that putt, broke into tears, hugged his caddy, and then picked up his son, Caleb, is that his name? Yes. Caleb. And then he went through and he took a victory lap. The Bubba is really an everyman. And in a, in a sport like golf, that has traditionally been thought to be an elitist sport just for the, the affluent few, Bubba, you know, from a small town of Baghdad, Florida, is just the kind of underdog that people root for. He's not a politically correct guy. He says a lot of funny, odd things. In fact, he's almost like a kid, you know, at the very end. And um, one of the last things he said was, I'm beginning to like the color green. And that's something you don't really hear, especially when you're talking to Billy Payne at the, uh, at, you know, at Augusta National. And um, so watching Bubba going against George Spieth, you really have, a, a you know, a very polished 20-year-old excellent player against a uh, a 35-year-old guy who's kind of a a little bit of a of an odd character of, uh, in a good way so you you really had a real contrast coming down the stretch and um and just watching on the television now most of us have high definition TVs and to see Augusta National how green it is with the azaleas in bloom the, the the music every everything is traditional you know literally so the whole experience of watching and Sunday you know watching the Masters in in, in you know the tradition of of watching with a lot of people they watch with their families whether they're in the club or in their house wherever they are everybody seems to pause and and as spring it just seems like the spring weather arrives just in time for the Masters so. Really, really an excellent viewing experience. And and back here in the East, you know, certainly in Philly, right in New York, you know, we, we spent we covered some ground this weekend. It was it was beautiful. The weather in Augusta was was spectacular. There was no rain. And um as I said, that's I'm struck with the beauty, the tradition, just the just the feeling, the flavor of the Masters is something really special that really you cannot parallel with any other golf tournament. 
That's really well said on so many numerous accounts, and I want to relay what you said, especially the sentiment you pointed out about the beauty of Augusta National. And watching that tournament, it just it just excites you. It You know what it does? It makes you want to just be more proper in like every aspect of your life. You look at those golfers, how precise they have to be, but just literally there's no speck of grass that is not placed perfectly. The course is just, it's almost out of a movie. I mean, it, it looks like AstroTurf, that place is so clean, and it, it's such unbelievable condition. Hearing the announcers, such soothing voices, very experienced, and all the photographs that they capture of Augusta National, all the lead-ins are just so well-prepared. And it is just such a peaceful and calming experience. It's kind of like you're actually there. And just, it's awesome to have a tradition, kind of like the U.S. Open in tennis, just something that's on every year around the same time. And with that kind of repetition, you build up a liking towards the event and you kind of have a connection. And I really blocked this time out. And the back nine at Augusta, the holes are set up for so much drama. You have par fives where players can get to the green in two and look for eagle holes on 13 and 15. You have a hole in 12 that's a dramatic par three where you can either go really wrong by hitting it in the water or it's only 160 yards. You could stick a shot close. So much drama, so much history. And the golf announcers and the sport really does a great job of honoring the past. So you kind of remember where you were for for uh, legendary moments like Phil beating Ernie in 04, Zach Johnson winning in 2008. The tradition, I, I love how the past winner gets to hang around and reward the new winner with the green jacket. And just, I think sports are great because you see these individuals get spotlighted on the biggest stage. You see them have to deal with so much pressure. This is really their livelihood. This is really their everything. Brant Snedeker said a quote in an interview. He said, I would trade $11 million just to wear the green jacket one time. These golfers grow up just like everybody else does watching this tournament. And it's just great to see these athletes. This isn't just another you know golf round for them. So much pressure, so many people watching. And just the beauty of the course just gets you excited to watch it on television. And it makes you want to go hit divots yourself. So really golfers can appreciate it, but also the casual fans. Uh, because of the camaraderie, gathering around with friends, as you mentioned, and also the drama and the excitement, how close it is. So I relay all of those thoughts. But from a viewer standpoint, seeing seeing Bubba versus Jordan Spieth, without Tiger this week and without Phil making the cut, did this tournament still exceed your viewing expectations? And my question to you is, what could have happened on the final round to make it even better? Well... When, when Tiger announced that he was undergoing a microdiscectomy, that means, uh, you know, just throw a little sports medicine at it. He had a herniated disc in his back. It was irritating the nerve. And according to the reports, he had the type of surgery where the disc was removed through microscopic surgery and he did not require a fusion. That is, he, he did not have 
the bones cut, and nor did he have bones placed, bone fragments or cadaveric bones, and therefore his recovery is expected to be a lot quicker. So once that was announced, it kind of took the air out of the balloon, and I think a lot of us thought that the Masters would be devo- devoid of drama. Looking at Phil in the in the first round, he had some, um, as, as he always does, he had some touches of greatness, but also slid back and, and failed to, to make the cut. So looking at it uh, from a distance or perhaps a casual fan's standpoint, there may not have been the same viewership. Just not having Tiger involved, I, I think statistically cuts about half the viewers down. That's what an immense impact Tiger has on the sport. But for myself, watching the drama unfold, and also looking at the names at the top of the leaderboard, Miguel Angel Cabrera, who is a, uh, or Jimenez, I should say, from Spain. Um, I, I guess as, as we all age, we kind of root for the old guy. So this guy was a, a 50-year-old guy. He's a free spirit. He's wearing like uh, mirrored shades and he's got a ponytail. And, and certainly a very likable guy, even though he at times plays for the Ryder Cup for the wrong team for the Europeans. He's a likable guy. You got to love Freddie Couples. He's out there. He's so relaxed. He, he's walking around in his, uh, in his loafers. Doesn't even use a golf club. But always seems like he's in contention for the Masters. So watching Freddie um, play is always a joy. So having him in the mix was certainly nice. Uh, just a little touch of Jib Furyk. He, he hung on, on a little bit. Um, there is a, uh, a guy named Blicht who was a... Uh, Scandinavian guy. Swedish guy, yeah. Swedish guy. He was really interesting to follow because this guy was a real grinder. I mean, uh, watching, especially his back nine, it seems like he didn't have a clear shot. He kind of reminded me of myself, only in the sense that my drives tend to be errant behind trees and other forlorn places. Uh, this guy was always having to hit out, hook things around, slice. It seems like he was blocking the ball, but his ability to get up and down was just incredible. And and he ended up fil- you know finishing out at five under. Um, d- don't know much about him personally, and certainly he was a no name guy. But 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 if you really watch the telecast, you saw you saw the way that guy grinded it out. It, it certainly added something to the final round. Well, there's just something about having Freddie Couples around all the time, and you know as you go through life, you know you watch the great masters, and. It's it's comforting to have a guy like Fred Couples be in the mix. And that's the special thing about viewing golf is that these same names are with you. It's not like collegiate basketball or tennis where the spotlight, where the sport, um, the headliners of the sport, their moment in the sun is very short. With golf, you could really follow these guys for 30 years. So... It's a comfort feeling because it was very sad this past year for me personally when one of my favorite players, favorite athletes of all time, Andy Roddick, when he left the U.S. Open. I grew up for 12 years watching that guy play, and I remember him when he was still a Reebok guy, you know, just dressing up in Reebok, had a backwards hat on. I remember that Andy Roddick, the gunslinger. And it was sad when he, you know, retired from tennis. You know, I felt a part of me was lost watching that. But but it, with golf, it's comforting having Freddie Couples and Phil Mickelson and all these same guys around. Because when you look at life, you think, oh, no, I, I loved, you know, back when, you know, this athlete was playing. Back when Donovan was quarterback in the Eagles or whatever. You have that nostalgia 
nostalgia, but with golf, you always can look forward to it, and these guys don't retire. So it's 30 years of the same thing, and it's a comforting feeling that, hey, uh, you know, it's really not that daunting the age that we're getting and and watching these things. So I love in golf how the same storylines continue to reappear and the same uh, you know Hollywood figures that we have in the game. It, it was wonderful. Um, Matt Kuchar, I wanted to see him do a little bit better, and I I oftentimes like the playoffs in golf where they go to extra holes and they're fighting darkness. That's great, but we still have three more majors to go. But Augusta again doesn't disappoint, and Bubba Watson never took a golf lesson so you have the all-american Jordan Spieth who's been prepped up since I'm sure he was 12 years old he took the uh let's say the uh very uh just normal route uh to becoming a professional golfer he took the route that most take where Bubba Watson couldn't have been further off the beaten path didn't have a golfing background at all, self-taught himself, just self-motivation and determination. You know, when I'm out at the range and I don't have a teacher telling me to do stuff, it, it's it's very hard to, to get better and improve. It takes a lot of mental toughness to, to really battle through. So, uh, yeah, just an incredible tournament. I'm glad we got a chance to talk about the Masters. Well, we thank everybody for listening to Bruce the Sports Talk. The next segment will deal with platelet-rich plasma, one of the most exciting techniques in sports medicine. Keep it right there. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine, Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. Lockdown coverage. Get ready to talk sports with the big guys. Tune in to Lockdown Coverage with Keith Lewis every Tuesday for the inside and outside of the business of sports. Keith and his guests will provide expert commentary and answer all of your burning questions about your favorite team, the players, and what's next. It's time to have fun with the game. Listen for Lockdown Coverage with Keith Lewis and his favorite co-hosts every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. The talk doesn't get any hotter. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. 
follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the next segment of Bruce the Sports Doc. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Grossinger. I'm a sports medicine doctor and neurologist in the Philadelphia, Delaware areas. And we're glad to have Spencer the Wizard, who is a freshman in college, communications major, and who's been my co-host for five years. Let's get into a little springtime NFL, little hot stove. One of the big stories over the last month was the unexpected release of Deshaun Jackson, the high-scoring high-flying wide receiver for the Philadelphia Eagles. We've been waiting for the Eagles to explain the why of it. And it's been, the silence has been deafening. Spencer, walk us through your reactions to Deshaun Jackson, your surprise at his being released, and how you think it's going to affect the Washington Redskins, his new team, as well as how it's going to affect the Eagles losing the big play threat. Well, when I first heard about Deshaun Jackson and him leaving town, I was very surprised because he was coming off one of his best seasons as an Eagles wide receiver. And when I look back at the New Orleans Saints game, the Eagles wouldn't have taken a lead if Deshaun Jackson wasn't there because he essentially is the type of receiver that could score in one play. From anywhere on the field, he can score a touchdown because he is so fast, and you always have to have an an opposing defense always has to have a deep safety over the top. You always have to have a spy on Jackson, and sometimes he attracts double coverage, and it looked like him and Nick Foles were really developing a combination, and it looked like with Chip Kelly's offense, Deshaun Jackson kind of just had a real bounce back year last season. So for the Eagles, they let go of one of their more productive players on offense. I think it was Shady McCoy who had the best year as a running back in the whole league. He led the uh, NFL in rushing. But then in the passing game, Deshaun was the clear-cut number one wide receiver for this team. With Vic, he did well, and with Nick Foles. So for Deshaun the leaf. Uh, just, just definitely is surprising. I guess it was for financial reasons. All I know is that the Redskins are getting a great football player, a guy right now that's in the prime of his career, and with RG3, Alfred Morris, and Pierre Garçon, there's so much speed on the field. And for Deshaun, it, he's still going to light up the NFC East ne- uh, next year just like he did in years prior. So the Redskins, I really give them credit for picking up Deshaun Jackson. I think he's going to add a whole different element to this offense. And for Jay Gruden, he must be licking his chops uh, because that def- he can definitely add a different element again to Washington's team. Yeah, I was, uh, I was surprised about the way it went down. There were some thoughts that the Eagles were going to get a third-round draft pick for Deshaun Jackson. 
a lot a lot of the rumors here in Philadelphia deal with Chip Kelly and his whole system. Chip Kelly is you know, he's he's an interesting interview, but at the core, I think you have a guy who's extremely regimented. He he cha- he's trying to change the culture of the team with respect to sports science, sports medicine, nutrition, and Deshaun Jackson could could fall into the category of a diva wide receiver. He himself admitted he was late for for practices. Um, he he could have had more focus, but during the game, it, it was clear that uh, that this year he he really put out a full effort, and that there was some friction in the beginning of the preseason where Deshaun didn't know the plays and and he was he wasn't playing as much, but. I thought they ironed everything out. There's a rumor that just broke this this week in Philly that um, that Deshaun um, cursed out Chip Kelly and LaShawn McCoy, Shady McCoy, came out and did an interview today in the Philadelphia media, and he was very emphatic to say that <clears throat> Deshaun was not was well liked in the locker room. That to a man he'll be missed. So that goes against the Eagles' standpoint that he was a distraction, and also said that he was there the whole time. He never saw Deshaun curse out Chip Kelly. So that rumor, you know, it's it's real easy to have rumors fl- floating and, and to have unnamed sources, and that's kind of like a shot in the back. And and to his credit, Shady McCoy came out and really had uh, had Deshaun's back there and said he's, he's really going to miss playing for him, that he was a real big part of the uh, team. And um, I'm not sure the, – the Eagles like to control the media that – they don't love when their uh, their players come out and they're outspoken, certainly. But um, I think it's important to bring that information out to the listeners as to what the dialogue here is in Philadelphia. Yeah, just the newspaper reports and everything. It looks like the Eagles are trying to make excuses for their actions. And you sort of feel bad for Deshaun because the Eagles really shed bad light on this guy with with a lot of the news coming out about him. And it's tough for someone to get a job like that. And you look at Shady McCoy, who said he had his back. And I guess the Eagles are trying to label him as as a diva wide receiver when really we as outsiders, as sports uh, broadcasters here, we have no idea because we, we're not exposed to the Novacare complex. We're not inside the ropes. So it's kind of a touchy situation, but I thought the Eagles should have played it better in Deshaun's best interest instead of shedding bad light on, on him. Do, do you agree with that standpoint? Yeah, uh, I do and I don't. One of the things you have to realize is that a football team, there's so much political correctness going on that if they came out and said something that really defamed him, I don't think people would be happy. I think I think the NFLPA is already looking into what you know the circumstances around the release. They're looking at, uh, as you said, some of these defamatory articles in, in NewJersey.com li- literally came out relating him to. Los Angeles, where he grew up, and to some parties in Los Angeles. And Deshaun really was clear. He made a written statement. He said, listen, I'm, I'm never, I'm not part of that situation. And it truly, he, he's never been reprimanded or disciplined. He's, he's never committed a crime. You know, he, he's, and if you look at wide receivers across the league, I'd say that about 50% of them would fall into a diva category where, 
they they they're you know the, these they have very big egos and you, you you know you look at you look at Terrell Owens you look at Chad Ostosinko you could you could look look at Michael Irvin I mean right down the line <clears throat> these are brash proud people oftentimes a little outrageous and that's almost the nature of the position of the of the wide receiver position you have to be confident cuz you're out there on an island and it's really you look at football as a, as a team sport, but for wide receivers, it's individual accolades. It's it's you that's doing the catching, that's running the routes, and it, you know you, it's it, for an offensive lineman, you have to work together with the three other people that are offensive line. But for a wide receiver, it's you against the cornerback, and and you're really chirping. I mean, you look at Dion and Michael Irvin, their rivalries. I mean, they trash talk. It's really you and the cornerback that's guarding you most of the time. So for for the wide receivers, you're right. It's a good standpoint to look at. That's kind of the nature of the beast, and you kind of and you have to have that supreme confidence and outward, um, just supporting yourself I, to really be successful. Bruce, I want to ask you because you definitely followed the Philadelphia Eagles. You now look at with Deshaun leaving the, the team. You have Riley Cooper and Jeremy Macklin as the two wide receivers on the Eagles. Just. Do you think that Riley Cooper coming off a good year last year can step into that number one role, or would you definitely look at drafting a number one type of receiver? And with Jeremy Macklin coming off an ACL injury, are you worried about the depth at wide receiver right now for the Eagles? Yes and no. Uh, We're going to definitely miss Deshaun Jackson here in Philadelphia, a big play threat. But you have to look at the team. You, You can't just look at one position with Chip Kelly. You've got to look at all of his weapons. I think you'll see Zach Ertz, very, you know, nice-sized tight end coming coming out of Stanford. Last year, he really was getting his feet wet. He was learning the system. You're going to see Zach Ertz have a big year. Brent Selleck really had a rebound year. Um, it, it seemed to me like Brent Selleck was, was on, on his way out. But last year, he, he really had a good year. You could look at Chris Polk. A lot of speed in the backfield, obviously, Shady McCoy. And you're also looking at the um, addition of Darren Sproles. So even without a, a, a wide receiver that you're going to be drafting, even without that influence, you have a lot of weapons. So that the offense has a lot of weapons. They're one year into the system, one year deep into it. They know the plays. And I think it's clear that the Eagles are going to draft a wide receiver somewhere between one and three. You know, in, with respect to their draft, and there, are, this is one of the deepest drafts for wide receivers in history. So you're you're not going to get a Mike Evans. You just in, unless you trade up for him, which I doubt they'll do. But there's a lot of big, fast receivers out there, and it is unusual for a wide receiver to make a big impact in their first season. That it happens, but it's unusual. So I don't think the Eagles should hang their hat on that possibility. But I think if you look at Sproles, you look at the running back position. You look, especially at the tight end position, Jeremy Macklin, it's a big question mark. When you come back from an ACL tear, you know, some some players like Adrian Peterson, he's, he's a freak. He came back in six months. He beat all the odds. So is Macklin going to be that guy? I don't know. Riley Cooper literally dropped one catchable ball all year. I don't think people know that statistic. So he had a phenomenal year, but he's not a speed receiver. He will not command the deep safety. So how will the loss affect the coverage? Will it, will it close things down? That remains to be seen. 
but it appears that Chip Kelly has something up his sleeve. So th- this year, this was a little bit of NFL in the springtime, and we're, we're going to be talking about the Masters, a tradition like no other, in the next se- segment. And finally, we're going to be doing a new segment, a sports medicine topic. So a lot happening here in the spring. We'll be back in three minutes. Stay with us. The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds barred. They need a bitch's ass and then move on. I just just think that the coach made a mistake. Crazy. (laughs) NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine. Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Stay connected. Sign up for our newsletter. Go beyond your favorite Voice America shows. Visit iradioblog.com. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to Bruce at BruceTheSportsDoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the next segment of Bruce the Sports Doc. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Grossinger, and it's my pleasure to bring you information from the world of sports and medicine. I'd like to talk about platelet-rich plasma, otherwise known as PRP. This is the most exciting thing in the field of sports medicine, and we're proud to offer PRP at both of our offices, in Wilmington, Delaware, in our new office at the Baldwin Medical Center in Delaware County, Pennsylvania. For all of those who are in the area, the tri-state area here, if you are interested in receiving a consultation in sports medicine, you could reach me at 610-521-6063 in Philly and in Delaware, 302-636-0920. Now, most of you probably heard about PRP, but you probably don't know the abbreviation of what it means. 
This was made popular by two very famous athletes, Tiger Woods and Kobe Bryant. When Tiger had his infamous knee surgery, he had a procedure where they took platelets, plasma, and associated growth factors and intraoperatively infused his blood back into his joint, and this helped enhance his healing process. You'll also recall that earlier earlier this year, Kobe tore his Achilles, and he went to Germany for platelet-rich plasma. The good news is you don't have to go to Germany. We have the harvest system right here, and many other fine orthopedic practices and sports medicine practices in the area are offering PRP. Now, you might wonder, what's the use of PRP? Number one, it's part of regenerative medicine to help regenerate and build the cellular aspects of joints. So it can be used for joints most commonly, elbows, knees, hips, shoulders. We find it especially useful for certain types of elbow injuries, partial tears of the ulnar collateral ligament. We also find that PRP is very helpful for rotator cuff tears, particularly partial tears or fraying of the rotator cuff. The literature is evolving, and there's an explosion of articles, and virtually every sports medicine conference highlights PRP. What PRP does is it basically removes clotting factors, and it enables the doctor to place your own, that is an allograft, your own tissue, your own platelets, plasma, and growth factors into your joint to help promote healing. It creates an inflammatory response, and the theory is that over 1,200 growth factors are recruited into the joint. So let's give you a, a for instance. Let's say you're somebody with partial ligament and tendon damage in your knee. You go to your doctor and they say, you might need a surgery, you might need an arthroscopic surgery. Well, you have to think, number one, that it's a major surgery. Number two, that there's a period of rehabilitation and downtime. With PRP, the advantage is there's almost no downtime. You come in for the procedure, you're in and out in an hour, and postoperatively, you're basically just icing the area. We have you make one modification. We have you avoid taking anti-inflammatory drugs in the postoperative period because that would antagonize the healing of PRP. With PRP, you're creating an inflammation. You're bringing in all the the cellular good guys in your system, and you're basically helping to regenerate and remodel your joint. It's specifically helpful in the literature with respect to, teg- to tendons and ligaments. And again, can be used for everything from crush injuries to the hands to most commonly injuries in the knees. We use it for it, partial tears of the ligaments. We also use it for cartilage damage, particularly in the rotator cuff and the knee joint areas. So, let me walk you through PRP. You come into the office, we draw a tube of blood. Then, most of it is waiting for our special centrifuge to sort out and remove certain elements of your blood 
such as your clotting factors and red cells, and we, we come down to a really purified area of platelets. With our system, we can concentrate over a million platelets per deciliter, which is tremendous. And once we have that, you go into the operating room. There's no cutting, no scalpels. You're basically in there. We do the procedure in a sterile way with monitoring like we do with every procedure. We then use a fluoroscope. A fluoroscope is a three-dimensional way to image the joint. And, and what we do is we use local anesthetic. We place, just like when you go to the dentist, you have a local, you have some Novocaine. We do the same thing. So we anesthetize the joint, whether we're dealing with the elbow, the knee, the hip. So you're in a position, we make everything numb to make it comfortable, and then we bring out the magic liquid, the PRP. With the PRP, we place these very small needles in the joint and inject and infuse the PRP, which is the healing part of the blood that we're using, the platelet-rich plasma. Once we're done the procedure, we then apply ice locally. You go to the recovery room, and after that, we, we bring you back in a month. And on average, for our patients, 70% of people who, who undergo PRP note an improvement. Now, there's, there's two endpoints for doing PRP. One is in pain. So we know that there's an endpoint of relieving pain in the joint, and there's also an endpoint of increasing the strength of the joint and increasing the function of the joint. So these are two really important endpoints for PRP. Back in the days when I trained, it was, it was in poor taste to talk about the cost of healthcare. But as you know, it's very important for us for you to understand what the costs are and all of us, doctors, hospitals, and uh, we're, we're trying to provide the best medical care at the best cost. Well, PRP certainly is a step in the right direction. With platelet-rich plasma, we compare it to surgery. A typical joint surgery would be $30,000. That includes anesthesia, surgery, operating room costs, hardware, etc. Plus, the cost of physical therapy, which will you typically range from about five to $10,000. With platelet-rich plasma, on average, the whole treatment costs all in $1,000. So it's 30 times cheaper than a surgery. There's no cutting. And there's an explosion of literature professing the benefits of PRP. It's even being embraced by surgeons. Here in the Philadelphia area, our main hand surgical practice is using PRP, and two of our main orthopedic practices, our university-based practices, are using platelet-rich plasma. So the nice thing is that, at least in our area, patients are looking for PRP. They're looking at athletes such as Matt Forte, Tiger Woods, Kobe Bryant. They're seeing how these people are returning to the field quicker with better results. So we certainly encourage you to inquire about PRP, platelet-rich plasma. It's a type of prolotherapy. Prolotherapy is essentially restorative medicine using hypertonic glucose solutions. PRP is much more powerful, much more intense treatment, which is very analogous to traditional prolotherapy. Prolotherapy has been around for 70 years. So again, I thought we had a real nice show today. We were able to highlight 
NFL football. We talked about the Masters, and we also were able to wrap up and summarize the NCAA tournament. We really appreciate the listeners to Bruce the Sports Talk. Really, we love doing the show. And on behalf of Spencer the Wizard, it's Bruce the Sports Talk signing off. Please tune in next week to another edition of Bruce the Sports Talk. Thanks for joining the discussion this week on Bruce the Sports Talk. Tune in next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition with Dr. Bruce Grossinger on the Voice America Sports Channel. We'll see you then. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.